The blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We have the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more. All from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. And I'm Adam. And today we have another album review for you. We are going way back to the depths of 1994 to talk about the perennial self-titled debut album mm-hmm. for Weezer. This is a big one. This is a big one. Sorry. Yeah, this this album hit big, I think, mm-hmm. when it first came out cuz it was everywhere. I remember first seeing uh the music video for Buddy Holly and thinking, "Who are these guys?" Yeah. They're different. These guys are yeah. different. And eventually uh, getting the CD and just falling in love with the album. This was, I actually remember this being my go-to lawn mowing album. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You definitely did some lawn mowing businesses, uh, you know, around, around town and you got to have music, man. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. I squeeze my Sony Walkman into my right. jeans pants if it could fit uh, and, and do some mowing as well. Yep. <laughs> Um, I think at the time I also had, I think we also had a discman, mm-hmm. so I would take that and hope that it wouldn't skip while yeah, I was walking exactly. around. Of course it skipped. Of course, <laughs> of course it I, skipped. I had I had one of them that was like had the no skip uh, technology, and it still fucking skipped. Of Not course. even when I was running, but just walking. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but uh, this album definitely made waves. It made uh, Weezer a household name. It made Rivers Cuomo a household name. And um, I I don't think they've had an, a whole album that hit as well as this one had. They've had some pretty big songs yeah. that have hit, and uh, they're still going today and still releasing music. I mean, they they got a lot of uh, praise for a cover album they did a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, which uh, you know is is fine. I. I don't uh, begrudge a band wanting to do a cover album because sometimes you just want to play the songs that you grew up with or that you have fun playing, even if they're not yours. Yeah, I like their cover of Africa, which is the the biggest of the one that came out of that album. Right, of course. But what I didn't like about it is they didn't make it their own. It just felt like they were doing yeah. a cover of Toto's song, and it wasn't. It didn't feel like a Weezer song. Right. I mean, that's what's one thing I do love about, uh, and I, I apologize, I can't remember the name of the album, um, but the Rage Against the Machine album that was released around yeah. 99 or 2000, it was a completely cover album, but if you listen to it, and I'll admit, uh, so, a couple of the songs that were released, I didn't know were covers because they sounded like they were totally, yeah. right, because Rage made all of those covers their own. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, we're going to cover all these songs, but it's going to sound like Rage, and it absolutely did. I mean, they're... A bunch of people. I didn't find out till years later that some of those songs were covers and not originals. And I'll throw out. I mean, well, there's a there's a million examples, but to kind right. of around this time, um, Nirvana on the uh, MTV Unplugged, they did like some David Bowie stuff. And yeah. granted, it didn't feel exactly like Nirvana, but it fits so well with their other acoustic stuff that they were playing that day. Right. It just it felt natural. Everything in that set fit together yeah uh whether whether it was their song or not um and you know what i think they were i'm sure there were a lot of people who were expecting them to play like some of their big hits mm-hmm. and you know what sometimes the song just doesn't work acoustic yeah and you can't just do it for doing it sake you, you, you know if it doesn't make sense um and that album blew up it's probably the most successful mtv unplugged yeah mtv probably. unplugged album actually i had heard that there was um that actually, I'd heard that Tony Bennett's actually sold more. I don't know how true that is. I do not believe Tony Bennett's. I don't. They. they why would they give Tony Bennett an MTV Unplugged? He, well, He's, they did. He had one. In fact, I know this. He, I, he's one of the least MTV guys I've ever heard of. I know, which is funny. I actually, <laughs> I gave, I bought that album and gave it to our grandmother. <laughs> I think not. I either. I think not long after our grandfather died. Uh-huh. Um, and she said she loved it. But I mean, it's it's it literally it's like it's just Tony Bennett, a piano, and a bass, and I think that's okay. it. Okay, that's so, uh, interesting. So I mean, what you gonna do? Yeah. Anyway, the album was released on May tenth, nineteen ninety four. Was re- it was recorded at Electric Lady in New York City, which was Jimi Hendrix's uh, studio. 
Oh, that makes sense. They probably read. Yeah, yeah. Did he? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I think he started that studio. Okay. Um, and it was produced by Rick Ocasek. Yeah, that's a name, man. That yeah, is a if, name. If uh, if you if you listen to any kind of music that came out of the '80s, Rick Ocasek is a name that should immediately jump out to you as the lead singer of a great '80s band called The Cars. And yeah. 70s too, I think actually they did they had some hits. I bet, know. yeah, I bet late 70s, yeah. Um, but great stuff. I love the Cars. Like their best of album is mm-hmm. still one that I I pull out every now and then. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think he did a great job with production in this album yeah. because it's 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 you know it's mid early mid 90s. Grunge is kind of starting to wind down. Mm-hmm. And we're and the rest of the sort of alternative phase of the '90s is starting to happen, and in comes this young group of guys. I mean, I think some of these guys were either just barely out of high school or were mm-hmm. still in high school. Looking at some of the music videos, they look like it absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just babies essentially, and they really it really feels like a garage band. Mm-hmm. Like these guys are just you know, kind of recording now. They're, they've added some more production mm-hmm. than than just that, but like the the instruments still feel a little raw sometimes, and the vocals aren't auto tuned and they're a little off sometimes. And honestly, there's a place for that. And sometimes I like uh, hearing that. Uh, yeah, I I like the more natural sound. Honestly, everything doesn't have to be perfect. Right. The personnel on the album are the band Weezer is we- Rivers Cuomo on lead vocals and lead guitar. Patrick Wilson on drums. No, not that Patrick Wilson, the actor. Okay. The one from uh, The Watchmen. Oh, which I haven't seen that. I still need to watch it. It's. I'm just getting through Barry. No, no, no. I mean the original oh. movie. Oh, was he uh, a Night Owl? Was yeah, he was Night Owl. Okay. He he looked like a nerdy Patrick Wilson for some reason. <laughs> I, I honestly had no idea. I was like, you know what? I bet that I bet that's him. Uh, Brian Bell on rhythm guitar and Matt Sharp on bass, and all of them do backing vocals, which is cool. Well, except for the drummer, which yeah. you know, I can relate to. <laughs> yeah. And then the only other quote unquote musicians uh, credited are Michael Allen, who I think is a girl, and mm-hmm. Carl Koch, who is actually one of the production designers. Uh, do the voice interludes on the sweater song. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good. There's something I want to talk about when we get to that one. Hopefully I remember when we get there. Um, and then that's pretty much it, which is kind of cool. That means it's just the band. They didn't bring any ringers in. Mm-hmm. The band is doing stuff. Um, it says, when it comes to Brian Bell, it says credited for rhythm guitar. And I heard that there was a part in which I think Brian Bell was fired and then brought back, and I think Rivers Cuomo redubbed all of his uh, stuff. Yeah. So I think technically Rivers actually did all the guitar parts, and then yeah, Brian awesome. was credited uh, in it because he was essentially the band's rhythm guitarist. I didn't delve too far into that story, but that's what I—that was a brief thing I'd heard. That's 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 kind of what I saw as well. Exactly that at the end of well, they apparently they had a different guitarist at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, something uh, uh, Cropper. I can't remember his first name. Okay. I'm sorry, um, Jason Cropper. And but he was having some relationship issues, or he just got a he and his girlfriend. His girlfriend got pregnant, and he was having a trouble with it. So he got he left the band, or he got fired from the band. Right. And so they brought in Brian Bell. But then after they recorded everything, apparently Rivers didn't love it, and so he said, "I'm just gonna fucking." re-record all this and so they did so they fired brian bill at the end of that recording of the during recording everything but then they rehired him because he's been part of weezer ever since ever since so i think so apparently outside of rivers just doing the rhythm for this album it sounds like you know they made up with brian bell and all good okay cool um all right so before we get into it adam you got some more uh fun facts for us yeah, a couple of fun stuff. Uh, you mentioned, yeah, this this album and these sing- singles and everything was everywhere. And then, yeah, it, the first uh, year, within like a year or just a little over a year, um, it had gone triple platinum at the time, uh, which is also quite big. And overall, uh, through all its sales, has now um, attributed to about 15 million copies sold worldwide. It is This is Weezer's best-selling album. In 2020, Rolling Stone ranked it number 294 on its uh, list of 500 greatest albums of all time. 
Um, fun little thing. They have, or it reached, it reached uh, 16 on the U.S. Billboard 200 charts. Hmm. And a fun little thing, Weezer has been known for doing uh, albums just called Weezer, but they have different color tropes to them. Right. So there are six different albums, including this one, that are just called Weezer, but are actually kind of known by their color. So there's this blue album. Uh, there's the green album, the red album, the white album, and then more recently the teal album, which was their um, uh, covers one. And okay. then they had a black album as well. Okay. So those are all pretty recent. And yeah, I I remember hearing this album. Same with you. I think Buddy Holly is how I was introduced mm-hmm. on MTV to this band. Um, and I am certain I remember hearing it from you. Uh, the album being you know, being played at home. On top of, I'm pretty sure I got it burned at one point. You know, like when you went off to college and I didn't have mm-hmm. the album around me anymore. I had Liam burn it for me because I had him burn uh, so many albums for me because <laughs> his dad uh, had, and our current uh, mother's husband slash stepfather has <laughs> had at the time an insane album collection. Yeah. So Liam Liam would burn us a lot of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, so this was one that was always kind of in my nostalgia. Um, I'm kind of surprised we're just now getting to it, but it is, uh, we have, there's just so many damn good albums from this time, you know, the, yeah. between eighties, seventy, cause we dip into seventies too, seventies, eighties, nineties and early two thousands. I mean, I think we're going to, this is going to go down as some of the best music in history. Absolutely. And some of the best times for albums yeah, per se. I mean, nowadays people release albums, but honestly, most people don't listen to full albums when they come out. I try to. If there's a band, I and I've started doing this because I don't like being a hypocrite. If there's a band that has a song that I like, I will try. To, I will. I will actually buy the album. Like if it's a song I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just like a passing fun song, I probably won't bother. But if it's an out, al- if it's a song I really really like and I want to give the band a chance, I will buy the whole album and I will listen to the whole thing. Yeah. I hate to say it, but nine out of ten times I'm burned. <laughs> well, which, is, which was also kind of the case in in even back in the 90s but that's the way music is treated nowadays though it yeah. feels like here's some here's some filler crap just to you know get you know you're gonna make money on the album sales but as long as you got like one or two hits you're good to go yeah and plus they release stuff so quickly i feel like oh yeah like things just get released really fast it's actually more akin. I think the model now is actually more akin to how it was in like the '60s, where more mm-hmm. singles get released by themselves, not even mm-hmm. in albums, yeah. and those blow up. Um, I think what was it when we were talking with uh, Will? Yeah, some of the songs that the Beatles were best known for actually never were on albums; they were just singles that were released. So, all right, um, I'm excited to go uh, revisit this. Yeah, I mean, this is also a very approachable album. Sometimes mm-hmm. we've had albums that are like. 14, 16, uh, you know, songs deep, and it's just like, whew, that's a lot to do. 10. We've got a nice 10 songs. That's a perfect, like, album size. Yeah. It's just great. Um, and no song other than the last song is terribly long. Yeah. Um, uh, there's only, other than the last song, there's only one that's over five minutes, and that's the Undone the Sweater song, and that's because, and we know for a fact that there's a bunch of extraneous stuff in mm-hmm. that song, so the song itself is probably only three or four minutes long plus a bunch of other stuff so mm-hmm. all right well let's uh well let's jump into the first song which is what i sing in my head every time uh i see my our cousin's uh <laughs> young boy and that is my name is jonas my name is One thing I do like about this song as an opening is it's a little deceiving. If you've never heard the band before and you just in and you get this cool little nice acoustic riff and then a short build up and then boom they hit you with the distorted guitar. And mm-hmm. my name is Jonas, which is is almost sounds like it's going to be an anthem but we you know Jonas is just the name of the character in the song. Yeah. Um yeah. I've always liked this song. 
This it's great, and you know they incorporate and kind of mix and match like an acoustic guitar with the hard rock sound pretty well like, throughout this album. Yeah. It so. kind of pops in and out. Like, not every mm-hmm. song has it, but when they do it, they incorporate it very well. It blends in. It makes sense with the song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was apparently actually inspired by um, Rivers' brother, uh, who's not named Jonas. Actually, Rivers', is, Rivers brother is named Leaves. Leaves Cuomo. <laughs> okay. Interesting name. Hippies. They had definitely yeah, yeah. had hippie parents. Yep. Uh, but apparently his brother was having insurance problems after a serious car crash while at college, and... Um, and the song explains how like the, the, the man is kind of fucking us all and especially his brother. <laughs> so, um, and John, I actually did ask our cousin Jess, um, if this song <laughs> was part of the reason. And she's like, yeah, actually she's, I, I don't think it was like the driving factor, right. but I think they, you know, her husband, Tony, is a big music guy yeah. and I'm pretty sure Weezer, you know, is high on on both of their lists of, of bands. And so I think this was an aspect of, to naming their second child Jonas. I mean, more power to him. Oh yeah. I'm I mean, all for it. It's a good name. Yeah. Good name. It's a yeah. name you don't hear hardly at all anymore. So well, it was, honestly, it was kind of a pleasant surprise when she's like, oh yeah, we're naming him Jonas. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. cool. You never hear the name Jonas anywhere. And I'm, I'm, and this kid now will always have that. He can always kind of fall back on this song and have a connection to it. I, yeah. I remember your son for a while was really into songs with his name in it. I kind of remember. I well, think, I like there was only the one. <laughs> <laughs> the there Dear was Dear Avery. Avery by the Decemberists. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Which I, is not, I, yeah. it, it's kind of a sad song, so. There's another song, um, uh, I think it's called Avery or whatnot, but it's called Communist Daughter, and I, kinda, I, I, and I think of him with that one, too. So <laughs> if he hasn't checked that one out, he probably wouldn't. He wouldn't. It's not like a, it's a great song. I like it. I like who, it. who is it? Communist Daughter. What's, who does the song? Communist Daughter. Oh, Communist does the song. And the yeah, song's yeah. called Avery? It's called Avery, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that was the name of the song you were saying. No, no, I got you. I got you. It's hard to tell which is which. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where are they out of? I I would assume somewhere in the West Coast. Okay. They, just, they, they feel like that, kind of just knowing their, their stuff. All right. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and move on to the next song, which is called No One Else. So when I was younger, or when I was a kid, this song was actually the only Insta skip uh, okay. on the album, and I gotta say now, it's still kind of an Insta skip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't say Insta skip. Do I think it's actually probably one of the on the you know it's definitely on the lower half? Is it maybe right. the lowest on the album? I would probably say that, but I don't dislike it. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not. I, I'm willing to get through it, you know, to to have a complete album, you know, because yeah. the, uh, not nowadays we just don't get so many cl- complete albums, John. Right. I, I kind of like knowing I can have <laughs> an album that I can just put on and walk away. And if I don't like this one as much, that's okay. It's still a full album for me. Well, unlike you, I am willing to say that is my ah. least favorite song on the album. <laughs> However, you are correct. It is not so bad a song that if I... You know, if I if I had if it you know if it was in a position where skipping it was not an, an option, or if I just mm-hmm. didn't feel like it, it's only a three minute song. It's good. I actually really like the guitar sound in this song. Something mm-hmm. about Rivers singing in this one, I just don't like it. Not good. Yeah, I mean uh, it's, it's it's almost like a poppier vocal sound. It's very sound, poppy, but, but di- juxtaposed with like that hard. Yeah. Yeah. So for some reason, something about this song just has never really clicked clicked with me. Even though it, it kind of does have all of the the ingredients for a good uh, Weezer song, yeah. something about it's never clicked. And maybe maybe it's a holdover from when I was a kid. Just like mm. oh, click, skip, next one. Because <laughs> um, there there is no other song on here where I would say that. Yeah. It's only just this song. Yeah, just so just something song. about this just never clicked with me. So I always skip past it. 
Um, I as I said, I do like the sound of the guitars. I think the whatever they did to recording them sounds great. The music is fine. Some reason, just I think either it's either the lyrics or the way Rivers is singing that just I just didn't like. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I think it's fine, but fine is the lowest on this album. Um, it's about basically about uh, wanting someone special just for you. Um, and this girl that he currently has isn't that. Uh, but it's almost kind of an obsessive way. The lines of, you know, uh, when I'm away, she never, when I'm away, she never leaves the house. Like she never leaves mm-hmm. the house. I want a girl who lasts for no one else. That's kind of obsessive, creepy, right? You know, it's, it's just unrealistic, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to that one to the next one, which is called the world has turned and left me here. I think at one point, I think I went through different phases, but I think at one point I would have cited this as my favorite song on the album. That doesn't surprise me. I think this is a criminally underrated song. I Uh, totally agree. And there's a lot of production stuff about this that I really love. Um, when When the drums kick everything off, the way they record it, it sounds like they're in a garage. There's some there's some reverb there, and it, it almost feels like it's being recorded from like a single mic that's like a little bit far away from the drums. Mm-hmm. So it, there's like an echo chamber quality to it, where it feels more industrial. Not in like mm-hmm. not industrials in like industrial metal, but just sort of industrial yeah. in like they're in like a concrete space or something like that, and it just gives the drums a different quality to the sound. Also, I really like the integration of the acoustic lick in the middle of the distorted guitars the distorted guitars are there but they're pulled back so that you can hear this cool acoustic lick which i mean is something that like you don't hear that much anymore putting an acoustic guitar with distorted stuff now i do it when i record my stuff because i like that sound quality of an of a strumming acoustic guitar underneath distorted stuff and maybe it stems from my love of bands from the 90s like Weezer and, and other mm, stuff mm-hmm. but I really like how they mix it because there's like it's heavy distortion mm-hmm. on the guitars but they're brought down to the point where you can still hear them and you can still clearly hear everything else that the band wants you to hear like the acoustic lick like the vocals and it, it's not just getting buried underneath some you know heavy heavy distortion and so yeah. I just I love the sound quality of this uh, uh, completely concur with that it feels this song feels layered musically, mm-hmm. and Ooh. I love that. That's a good term. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so always always appreciated this one. Uh, apparently, Rivers has said, so the previous song uh, being about a jealous, obsessive asshole, um, about in you know freaking out about his girlfriend, and then this one being about that same asshole realizing why she's gone <laughs> and why she's left. So, But it's, it's just overall, as a song itself, it's fantastic. And yeah, you're you're getting lots of different musical qualities into it, and mm-hmm. I think that's why it kind of can appeal um, and be just a little bit more interesting than than the last one. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one, which is their big song that everybody loves, called "Buddy Holly." So one thing I do love about this song, first off, a lot of people, I think, get into that trap of they get hooked in by a song and then they hear the rest of the album and one of two things happens. Either the rest of the album doesn't sound like that one song that was a single and they don't like it, which I could see happening with this one because Buddy Holly 
really doesn't sound like anything else. Like it was really, it feels like it was written to be a single. Mm. It was written to be a hit. Um, or the opposite happens where they fall in love with everything else and then the hit that they that they liked, you know, kind of becomes like, oh, that's that doesn't sound like the true them. That's just a, a commercial song they wrote. To me, I still love the rest of the album, but I never really lost that enjoyment of Buddy Holly. It's kind of this, it's almost like a fun little, I hate to use the term novelty song, but almost (laughs) what it feels like, because it still sounds like Weezer, but it doesn't really sound like any other song on the rest of the album. Yeah, and that might be why, and let's say I'm on the slight other side of it, but I've always liked this song, don't get me wrong, I've always liked it, but I've always felt it's never been like one of like their top echelon Mm -hmm. songs, one of their biggest, greatest hits. Yes, it got huge, no small part to its music video. Yeah. Uh, but as a song itself, I'm like, and eh, this is probably like my fourth or fifth be- favorite song on the album. Probably fifth right. or, or, or maybe even sixth. I don't know. Um, so from a critical standpoint, yeah, I would agree. Like they have better constructed songs on here mm-hmm. than this, but it still makes me smile when it comes on. It's still fun. Sure. It does make me think of the music video and that I think yeah. that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, it, I mean, it's written to be a radio hit. It's only two minutes and 40 seconds long yeah. or less than that. And I still I still love it whenever I hear it come on or someone else reference it. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and uh, uh, we got to talk, you know, a little bit more about the, the music video. I believe I'm remembering, I'm just going off the top of my head, I think it was directed by Spike Jones. Is that right? Correct. Yep. And uh, very seamlessly, especially for 1994, 95, whenever it came out, um, integrated the band into Happy Days. Yeah. So they did it. Uh, it was no no computer graphics done. It was all shot uh, kind of using some d- body doubles mm-hmm. uh, for some of it. And then also yeah, just integrating uh, the footage between the two of the the show and and um and there what they shot on in a studio. I wonder if they had to recreate the set or if the set was still like partially there from uh, yeah. usage. I mean the the show would have been gone for almost 10 12 20 yeah. not 20 but 12 13 years at that point I think. I would imagine they kind of mostly recreated it okay. because yeah it would have been definitely gone for the vast majority of time. Um and that wasn't I don't feel like that was like in the days where studios kept stuff for novelty for people to come in and see it. Like, I think the friend set is still completely intact, uh, right. you know, at Warner brother studios. Cause so, cause so many people come in and tour it right, and whatnot, stuff like that. And other ones like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it is fun. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's also so silly. It's, it's quirky. And that's a word that I kind of wrote down multiple times with this album and some, some of the songs, but it starts off, you know, happy days is kind of like, silly 50s style and right. you think they're going to have like this oh this silly poppy you know song about to play and immediately goes into that hard sound and you're like what the fuck is this but uh, they they acted as if it were a 50s yes. tune and that's the best is they're selling that that yeah. feeling that 50s feeling even though the song is different which is i really love that juxtaposition also this is where our generation found out that uh pat marita did something before karate kid yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> We're like, oh my god, it's Mr. Miyagi. No, yeah. everyone else, you know, everyone older than us knows him as Arnold. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this song hit number two on the modern rock chart, number thirty-four on the mainstream rock chart. Um, apparently, Rivers Cuomo wrote the song after his friends made fun of his Asian girlfriend. Uh, so when I look through the lyrics, it's basically yeah, it kind of seems about he's a guy is defending his relationship with his girlfriend, and you know that he uh, he I don't care about that, you know what yada yada, mm-hmm. uh, and just happy with her and, and loves her. Uh, so yeah, the music video um, won a multiple awards at the 1995 MTV Video Music Awards. It won Best Alternative Video, Breakthrough Video, Best Direction, and Best Editing. Was nominated for Video of the Year. I forgot to look up what won that time, but mm-hmm. uh, but did not win Video of the Year. And apparently, and I don't remember this. Apparently, the music video was included on the Windows 19, or the Windows 95 CD-ROM. Uh, so it was like automatically on i guess when it was loaded onto computers or something i don't remember that one bit i don't either but apparently that was a thing but yeah i mean it's you're right it's a fun song and now partly because of nostalgia but also because it is enjoyable enough yeah you hear the song and i do have a good time with it still yeah the the 
the the thing about the Asian girlfriend actually makes sense, and I'm gonna tell you this little quick little diatribe. Um, uh, at one point, I worked at a high school just as the drum instructor, and we had a uh, the orchestra teacher was in the same office as the band teacher, so she was often in there, and we would talk about music, and she would she would often quote this Weezer song that I think actually came off of Pinkerton, which I think was the album mm-hmm. that came out after this. I think so. Um, and the song starts out with the t- the, the lyrics, "God damn you, half Japanese girls." Oh. And she was half Japanese, so that's why she loved that song. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now that made sense. Why that now that whole song uh-huh. makes a little bit more sense to me. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Sorry, that was a weird little diatribe, but it, I, I was only just now really able to make that connection. Yep. And if we're making weird connections, well, I wanted to fix something. I said I thought communist daughter was from the West Coast. They're from St. Paul, Minnesota. That's it. Okay. Throw it out there. A little love for those guys because I yep. do like their stuff. Uh, All right, let's move on to the next one, which is called Undone, The Sweater Song. So, as a drummer, this has always been one of our most quoted <laughs> intros of any song. Um, any anyone who got behind the drums uh, often would either kick this song off, or like "Smells Like Teen Spirit," or you know, yeah. if you were if you had, if you were a double bass player, you'd try to do like "Hot for Teach" or something like that. Uh-huh. Something with like oh. it, like iconic drum intros. And for that, some reason, this st- not stupid, but this very simple little oh, lick. Yeah. Dun, is very dun, memorable. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And everyone, when you hear it, you know immediately where we're going into. No, yeah. Uh, sorry, I got caught up on that Hot for Teacher because <laughs> I that is probably my favorite song intro of all time. It, it might it's be. so that good. That double bass is so incredible. And, uh, it, well, and, and what's funny is it's, in theory, I'm not a great double bass player, so I don't like playing double bass. I just like, I'm a simple, simple drummer. I like, I'll play the groove, you know, don't ask me to, mm-hmm. you know, be Neil Peart or some shit like that. Um but the bass drum part is actually pretty simple. It's mm. just um, it's just back and forth. It's a it's a shuffle. All the extra sound you're hearing is actually the toms. Okay. So the like the is all just the tom fills that he's filling in on the floor tom and all stuff. But it's like it sounds it's great because it sounds more complicated than it actually is, which I think is the mark of a great drum lick. Mm-hmm. To make yeah. it to make the audience sound think that you're playing something just insane, and it is tough. Don't get me wrong; keeping mm-hmm. your feet in that rhythm is not easy. But then, it in itself is actually pretty simple, and so that is really cool. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, plus, when it kicks into the, like the ride on the on the on the bell, like yeah. ding 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 ding. ding yeah. Oh, it really yeah. Comes in. All right, we're gonna get stuck on. Get, that we'll song. get to go back to this intro. Yeah. To tie some things at least just intro wise. I'm going to throw out that word again, quirky, because um, mm. they just start off. This is the one that starts off with that like a ra- seemingly random conversation. Like, right. wait, where's the song here? Why is this conversation happening? And then what's even better is so they go into a verse and then they go back to the conversation. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. Like, what was what, happening? But I I appreciate it, you yeah. know, as an alternative rock band that is willing to experiment more than like, you know, most like kind of grunge people do. And this was grunge was what was really hot at this time, if right. you will. Um, and so them kind of trying this other stuff, and I think it working really well. Uh, it's it's fun, you know. This song is really fun, and it also, out of everything I listened to in prep for this, this is the catchiest song that's stuck in my head. Mm. I can say like for hours after listening, I was just like, if you want to destroy my sweater, like this is the one that's stuck in there. So it's just a it's a simple but enjoyable song. Mm-hmm. I believe this was actually the first single. I think yeah, I released so. on. Um, I do remember this one getting pretty good radio play, but I feel like the single got more radio play after Buddy Holly came out because um, the single had already been released and people were loving Buddy Holly. So like, all right, well, let's just push the single that's already out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I just and I I was yesterday years old when I listened to this album that I realized that in I think it's the first I think the first talking part is the guy right and the second one is the girl. Yes, what I remember. So yeah. in the at the end of the first one, they're I think they're talking about the party that they're going to or whatever, and the dude goes, "I'm so stoked." Later, bro. Up up until yesterday, I thought he said, "I'm so stoned." Oh, okay. Even when I was younger, and so for some, I I don't know if that I think in '94 that was like, "Ooh, he said he was stoned." He admitted yeah. using drugs. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure he says stoked. Probably, yeah. No, I always I always remember. Oh, hey, Bob! Like that's that's <laughs> the first the first line they say, and that's kind of like for some reason the way he says it sticks in my head too. It's uh, it so. is very quirky, and I think yeah. that that works to the benefit of this mm-hmm. song. Very, yeah. I mean, the rest of it is pretty simple, uh, as simple little like uh, electric guitar lick with you know some simple backing, and then when it goes into the verse, just kind of rhythmic heavy guitar, but that man that you know that uh, that chorus, mm-hmm. all you got to do is. Is saying that first part, and you know, people, yeah. you know, people, a crowd of people around our age, and they're they're going to be able to finish it, whether or not yeah. they actually listen to the band. <laughs> then they're still going to know it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, this song did have a music video uh, again, or this is their first single, so I think it had the first original music video. It had uh, Spike Jones was doing that did this one as well, um, and his pitch was simply a blue stage, a steady cam, a pack of wild dogs. Uh, and that's pretty much what it is. It's them uh, kind of on this um, kind of infinity walk uh, stage that's all blue. They're just playing, acting kind of, I think, tired and wacky. And these dogs come out and that's about it. But it, it works because the city cam and them just being kind of weird. It all really worked for the album or for the music video. It's not as iconic as Buddy Holly or anything. Right. But it's, uh, it's a solid music video. And apparently one of the takes, they did like 25 takes from what I read. And um, the one that was used was like around like the 20-ish mark when the band was just kind of fucking tired and drained and they just stopped caring about trying to be accurate anymore right. <laughs> to the song. And that's kind of, but that works. Honestly, it works right. really well. Um, and apparently on one of the takes, a dog shit on uh, the drummer's bass drum pedal. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> the hell did it get back there? I, I don't know. All right. So. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one called Surf Wax America. This song, weirdly, always felt nostalgic for me. Okay. Even when it was new, it felt nostalgic. And I think it's because, you know, I I always had a a good love for the songs of the 50s and 60s, like the Beach Boys Mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, I think it's Dan and Gene. Is that right? There were were another two uh, two guys who did, like, surf songs like the Beach Boys did. Okay. Um. I forget they had a really big hit that is often attributed to the Beach Boys, but it's not them. It's I forget which song it is. It's still like, you know, if, if we're if we're ranking these songs, it's still like the bottom half for me. Oh, uh, okay. But I really like it. Like I never have an issue listening through it, mm-hmm. and it's also another hook that gets stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, long after this song is done, I will find myself singing, you take your car to work, I'll take, which is nothing I've ever identified to because we grew up in fucking Atlanta where there is no surfing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can, I can kind of agree with that nostalgic feel. I mean, cause it just has the idea of surfing and all right. that kind of stuff. Um, and that open, I love that opening guitar. The, oh, it's the, a the great the lick. Picking. Yeah. I actually put this in my top half, maybe like my second or third favorite. Okay. I really like this song. Um, and apparently I saw that uh, Rivers described about the song. It's a total sarcastic call to hedonism, a sing-along, drink and be merry. Uh, I hate drinking and only do so when I absolutely have to, which in these days seems to be quite often, is what he said. So apparently it has to do with uh, alcoholism, partly, which I really couldn't tell. Um, but overall, just the song 
I think it's a good pop rock song. It moves well. It's just one I've I've always really really appreciated. Okay, so <laughs> when I said uh, um, Dan and Gene, uh-huh. I I actually flipped it. It's Jan and Dean. J- okay, I was the name okay. of the group, and they did uh, Surf City and the Little Old Lady from Pasadena. Oh, those are classic songs. Yeah, those are great. and those are the ones that are often attributed to the Beach Boys, but were not the Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next one called Say It Ain't So. This is another song that I can say at one point was my favorite song on the album. And that's probably what I would say right now, yeah. maybe for a long time. This is pro- this has got to be my favorite on the album. Yeah. I remember so actually um, it when I, I listened to this album before this one became a single, and when it became a single, I was like, I was ecstatic because actually my favorite song on the album was actually being played on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um Again, with a really good guitar intro, Rivers Cuomo mm-hmm. does some really good writing with those, and a song that just, I, I don't even know if it's deep, it just feels deep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so what I saw, uh, what Cuomo said the inspiration for the song was, um, he made a connection to an incident in high school where he came home and saw a bottle of beer in the fridge. Uh, he believed that his mother and father's marriage uh, was end has was ended because his father was an alcoholic, and this made him fearful because his mother and his stepfather at the time were married, and he thought this was going to be the end of their marriage. So, seeing just having that connection of alcohol tied to the alcoholism that ended the previous marriage, mm-hmm. he was afraid that that was going to ruin this current marriage. Um, and yeah, it's because uh, they talk about what a, like a hiney. Yeah, yeah, it's down in my icebox. Uh, yada yada but yeah so i mean there's there's and it's heineken right obviously that's what it is but but yeah um i you're right there is a depth to this one it's uh it's got a nice the, the, the guitar through it works really well for me yeah. i think again there's some great layers with this song and really really great emotion for me um because and that ties in i guess with the depth because mm-hmm. it goes from soft to hard back to soft it's its own roller coaster yeah and the uh, the motion follows it because it, it feels mm-hmm. sort of lamenting and then angry, yeah. and it slides between both, but it 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 keeps sort of the same overall tone all the way through. Just looking here, it it says that um, the song is widely considered one of the band's best songs, and I yeah. completely understand why. And yeah, if you asked me today if I had to pick the best song on the album, I probably still would say this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hit number seven on the modern rock chart. Uh, it does have a music video. It wasn't anything special to yeah. me. It, there's pretty much them just kind of playing in a house. A camera kind of moved around yeah. with them playing in the house. They play hacky sack at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it's just a boring music video, especially compared to their first two. Right. Yeah. I do remember being disappointed by the music video because it wasn't as quirky as... Um, mm-hmm. Holly Holly, but then at the same time, the song wasn't as quirky, so it didn't need to be. But yeah. I was also it was it also seemed pretty plain yeah, for a music video. Plain. So it, it, you know, it it works better just as the song. You don't need to seek out the music video; just the song itself, I think, speaks enough volume that you don't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, we're uh, rolling towards the end. Let's go to the next one, which is called "In the Garage." So I don't think there is a song that more encompassed how I felt in high school. <laughs> Dude, my note 
Well, one of my notes that I just have was, this is John. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This song, I mean, the song itself is finely constructed. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's not much to it. It's pretty simple. This is actually probably, this is my most skipped back in the day. Yeah. um, I would say when I was younger. But the, the lyrics grab me because, damn it, I've never identified with a song more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it starts off with this. Just an ode to nerddom. Yeah. You know, talk about D&D and comic books. And then it goes into a whole thing about this is where my music is and all that love. And uh, yeah, you, the garage was definitely more of your place. I always felt it was because you had, you did, you did your rock band out there um, and you were the mower of the lawn and, right. <laughs> and everything, whatever. Like the garage just felt like your space. I was more of a basement kid. Right. And I would kind of play, you know, or be in front of the TV kind of kid. But um, yeah, like. Listen to it now. This this song actually makes me almost no more nostalgic because right. I have more of those kind of connections, at least to like some of the nerddom and all this other stuff. Yeah, and just music in general. Not necessarily, you know, I had a crappy rock band, but I was never as good as you as in music, and never as interested in music as you were. Right, uh, and so I never really went that far down that path like you did. But I do, I do appreciate the song way more now than when I was younger. Yeah. And man, you're right. It absolutely makes me feel nostalgic for those times when it was a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. Just, all right, I'm gonna go. Yeah. We're gonna practice. We're gonna, you know, ha- have fun. Um, I, you know, I did, I did a f- some role playing stuff. I didn't play D and D. Oddly enough, I did other. I, there was another game that I played. Um, mm-hmm. Also, like this band kind of is. I, I, I'm hoping I'm remembering this correctly. But this band is kind of the first one that was defined as nerd rock. Yeah. Yeah. Geek rock is actually one of their uh, things that it, and I think they helped started that. Like that was the yeah. thing. Um, And this, I mean, this just sort of cements it, but yeah, man, it, you know, kids who were like us. And I think there were a lot more kids who were into stuff like this, uh, who were into comic books and D and D who didn't want to show it at school because it wasn't considered cool. But even, I think Mm. even some of the cool kids were secretly into some of this stuff. And for some reason, nobody wanted to share this. Now it is the cool thing, Mm -hmm. which is honestly great because now I don't, you know, I don't have to, I don't, you know, I don't have to, other than, you know, people of our parents' generation, I don't say them. Yeah. I go every Wednesday to a comic book store to pick out new comics and I read them and, yeah, and stuff like that. But I don't have to hide that from a lot of people. They're like, "Oh yeah, no. comic book store. Yeah, totally." I mean, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. We've gone through that age of where you know you had to be kind of shunned, I guess, when you were a nerd, and then you know it got more popular until it became the mainstream. And I do think we are probably in the stage where um, some of it is going to eat itself because uh-huh. they have they're they're going too saturated, right. and everyone's going to it's going to implode, in my opinion. Um, some of the nerdum and Marvel and, and Star Wars. But they're still popular enough right now, so I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Keep it coming. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go to the next song, which is called Holiday. Let's go away for a while. You and I to a strange and distant land. Where they speak no good old truth, but we don't understand This is another song that I think is fine. Yeah. Um, uh, I I I like the sort of cool harmonized guitar lick that happens in the beginning. Actually, I'm not sure it's harmonized. I think it might just be in octaves. But um, the song itself is okay. Um, mm-hmm. I always in I always thought it was weird when I was a kid because he refers to like going on a holiday, which is something that like Europeans mm-hmm. would say. Like we we <laughs> yeah. use the term we go on vacation. Um, and for some reason I found that weird, like, Ooh, worldly. Uh, (laughs) but the song itself, it's another one that I can listen to, but I don't active, not actively like that sounds horrible. Yeah. I just, you know, I don't identify with a lot with the song. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, I definitely kind of put this one in in the garage in the same vein and I could, I could, I could take it or leave it. You know, if I was doing a full listen through, fine. But if I was just trying to hit some stuff, I would probably skip it to get to the next one. Um, but yeah, 
listening to it now, I appreciate it more than I used to. Okay. Um, it is, and I will say, it's a song that grew on me as I listened to it. Mm-hmm. When I started off with it, I was like, oh, okay, this one, this one's okay. And then by the end of it, I was just like, you know what? That's a pretty damn good song. It's not amazing. It's not blowing my socks off. Right. Um, but this is just a damn good song on a damn good album. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and push on to the final song, yeah. uh, which is the longest one on the album at just under eight minutes, called Only in Dreams. So, personally, I feel like the placement of this song is perfect. I wholeheartedly right agree. Right at the end. Yep. You know, we've we've talked a lot about how albums ends, and sometimes I feel like it, it, it doesn't uh, get enough uh, producers or whoever, you know, um, uh, executives don't put enough consideration into how to end an album. And I think in this one, they nailed it. At least for yeah. the list of songs that they have, this this is the only place where this song should go, which is right at the end. It's mm-hmm. a slow build. It's a long song. It's a s- softer in tone song, not necessarily in sound because they still use their their heavy guitar sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that just kind of weird ending, you know, was, p- piano sounds was, and shit that yeah. they do at the end. And, and it kind of trails off, honestly, yeah. at the end, but it works. It works. And th- this is a perfect placement for a song like this, um, which um, I don't know too much about. It just kind of feels like it was just a an idea they had, and they just kind of put it out there. So Yeah, it's it's almost – I mean, so the lyrics kind of talk about um, about like a girl of his dreams. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what most of the interpretation is. The Rivers has said, I think most of our audience always thought it was about a girl or a song about a girl when I'm really s- singing about my artistic process. Um, but he says she in it all the time, so right. of course you're gonna make the connection to a female. Um, but yeah, like it's uh, it's actually their longest song to date at uh, seven minutes and fifty nine seconds. Uh, but yeah, I really really like it. You know, it is one that you just kind of have on, and I I love those slow builds, and this yeah. uh, does it well. Yeah, for like sometimes a, a slow build, you got to be careful because sometimes it if if it's too long or if the parts aren't interesting enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it cannot work. But with this one, even though it starts up with a very simple bass lick, I think the the tone that they chose for the bass makes it interesting and it, mm-hmm. it's you know, it has a character to the sound that um only only works in that context. And it was it was one of my I think when I was younger, it was actually one of my favorite zone out songs. I can see that, but I just kind of put on and just kind of let the music play, and you don't re- you don't listen to it; you just sort of feel it as it goes. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Um, and as I mentioned before, I think the perfect way to end this album. Yep, yep. It was uh, yeah. It's just a, it. It's been a fantastic album. I think this was a great way to close it out. Uh, all right. Well, let's jump into our final thoughts, uh, Adam. Why don't we start with you? Sure. So, as we kind of mentioned, yes, an album that has been part of you know our repertoire and our rotation for a long time i will say for me it it kind of fell out of rotation um you know weezer i liked but the more the longer weezer went the less i kind of liked them as a band (laughs) and i kind of forgot how much i liked their early stuff Mm -hmm. and so revisiting it here has really reminded me when they do really good hard rock i like it a lot their alternative rock and their less poppy rock stuff um I really dig that hard alternative rock sound that they had early on and just kind of forgot how damn good this album was. Um, Makes me think I need to check out. They have a very recent album. I think in 2021, they came out with Van Weezer, uh, which was an album that is kind of incorporating more of like heavy rock 
sound huh. to it, obviously coming from a Van Halen inspiration right. part of it. But I want to go check that one out now because I'm like, you know what? When they do the harder stuff, I'm digging it. So, uh, yeah, I've always appreciated this album, but listening to it again, it just makes me makes me it reminds myself how fucking good Weezer is, and particularly these either these early ones. So I want to go check out Pinkerton and then the Green album after this, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of like you know, kind of kind of you know, remind myself these guys are really fucking good. Yeah, and they've had they've had a few kind of songs that kind of popped into pop culture. Um, they had uh, Hashpipe later that it came off the green. That's, that's the worst fucking Weezer song of all time. It, I hate it. It, it. To me, it's it it feels a little bit more like I I don't mind it. Um, uh, I like for something about the production of the guitars. I really like on that song. Uh-huh. Um, but that's from a production point of view, not necessarily from yeah. a songwriting point of view. It kind of feels like. And then they also had the Beverly Hills song that came out in like mid two thousand. I think. Uh- I'm sorry. That's the fucking worst Weezer okay. song of all time. <laughs> I take that back. Hashpipe is not great, but actually, I think I'll go back and listen to it. I'll be like, okay, this isn't terrible. Beverly Hills is fucking a joke. <laughs> it honestly, it feels like them trying to recreate the feeling and the hit of Buddy Holly uh, more than maybe. anything else. Um, because Buddy Holly doesn't really feel like hardly any of the other songs. I feel it doesn't feel like the rest of the songs on that on the Blue Album or the first Blue Album, I guess. But those two, they were very poppy, just yeah. like Buddy Holly was. So it feels like they're trying to recreate that. And they, I don't hate Beverly Hills, but it's definitely uh, not. Like when I heard it, I'm like, come on, guys, you're better than this. That, well, it was just so boring. Yeah. yeah. Beverly Hills, that's where I want to be. Give me, give me. I don't, I, I just, I think it, I think they're smarter than that song. I agree. It's funny, their their poppy song, um, the one that was on Ratitude, oh man, uh, why is it not coming to me? But I actually really liked it. If you're wondering if I want you to, I want you to. Uh, that one, I actually really dug that song when that came out. Okay. For me, this album always will have a special place in my heart. Um, like you, actually, sometimes this album does fall out of rotation, and then I have to go back to it and remind myself how good the whole album is as a whole. You know, as I mentioned, I really love their uh, production use of acoustic guitar with the really heavily distorted ones, but they don't they don't overbear you with the distorted guitar. It makes its presence known, but they pull it back enough to where it feels heavy, but it doesn't sound heavy. The quality of the yeah. sound doesn't deteriorate or doesn't you know you, you don't I don't feel like I have to jump to my volume knob to turn it down um, when the heavy guitars come in. Um, I this is a great album and it kind of sucks when you feel like a band peaks so early Mm. with success. Now that's hard to say because you know, for, I know for a fact that as the band is going to go on, the musicians are only going to get better. And so I, it probably, it just tells me I probably need to go and, and spend some more time listening to some of those other songs on albums that were never, you know, released as singles. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be some gems in there, but there's also something about the inexperience of youth and the sort of innocence where they don't really know what is things are supposed to be or how something works. And you just write what you feel. And sometimes that ends up with the best results, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's hard to say either way. I will always love this album and it will, it will hopefully spend more time in rotation uh, in the future. Yeah. All right. That was our review of the self-titled album, Weezer, the Blue Album. Please join us next time as we welcome back our friend, Chris Hollister, to break down the 1995 film, The American President, discuss the seminal television show, The West Wing, and recast American President using actors of today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
Shaw. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.